1 Corinthians chapter 15 for our public reading of the word this morning. I want us to read verses 1 through 11. Will you follow along in your Bible as I read? 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Well, Father, this morning our hope alone is in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that it always brings us to gather together on Sunday morning. Thank you for the reminder that the first day of the week is to us of the great resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our Bibles that we open now from which to receive truth, to guide us and to direct us. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, that because the dead are raised again and Jesus rose again, that we can look forward to an everlasting hope of resurrection life in Christ. So, Father, teach us, instruct us, but stir us and move us to obedient living as well through these great truths this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, humbling our hearts before your word. Amen. Well, do you know that there are just some crazy stories in our Bible? Some of these stories, if they weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe them. And some of the stories, because they are in the Bible, people don't believe the Bible. I'm thinking of a story of a man who died during a church service one day. It's in Acts chapter 20, and you don't have to turn there. But just as we prepare our minds and our hearts for the topic at hand today... Listen to a story that happened one day in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It was the first day of the week, and they came together to break bread. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, listen to this, he kept on talking till midnight. Boy, that's a pastor for you, isn't it? Well, it doesn't stop there. It says that there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, that's a little bit of a detail because I think those were fire pot lamps and it's an upstairs room and I guess it must have just got warmer and warmer and warmer. And then they opened the windows to get a little air and it's now after midnight and the Apostle Paul's going on and on and on. You know how that feels, don't you? (laughs) 
I don't, but you do. Every once in a while when we're in a service and the preacher seems to not be able to find the off button, Janet will give me the elbow and say, this is good for you. And so they opened the windows and they had the lamps on so they could see. And the Apostle Paul is teaching. And there was a young man who must have gotten up early for work that day. And it's been a long day. It's now after midnight. And it says, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Do you know what that feels like? And so Eutychus is sitting on the edge of the window, and the NIV translates it so vividly, sinking into a deep sleep. And the Apostle Paul is going on and on and on. He himself said he didn't come with eloquence of speech. And then it says, when he, Eutychus, was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. You talk about disrupting a service. I wonder if he yelled on the way down. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And with apostolic power, the apostle Paul was able to bring Eutychus, who had evidently broken his neck from the third story up, and had died with the fall. And I take it to, he literally had died. They didn't just think he had died. Because it says, then he went upstairs. He said, don't be alarmed. He's alive. And then he, the Apostle Paul, went upstairs. Or no, Eutychus went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After the Apostle Paul then talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Is that a crazy story or what? Now, the good news is we're not going to go through till midnight and into the next morning. But in the next few minutes, I want to talk about dead people coming back alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? There are numerous accounts in our Bibles. Even in the Old Testament, there's an interesting account of people being brought back to life. But what we're talking about this morning is the reality of people who are dead, who are buried, who are disintegrated, who will one day literally bodily be resurrected. That is, every time you drive past a cemetery, you can say to yourself, every person in that cemetery, every person will resurrect out of the ground. Do you believe that? Every person who's drowned on the Titanic and is still entombed in that deep sea grave will resurrect out from the bottom of the ocean. Every young sailor who's entrapped in the Arizona at Pearl Harbor, down in the water, will resurrect out of that sea grave. Every mountain climber who's entombed in solid ice on Mount Everest... And I've read some amazing accounts of those climbers. There's a great book I recommend called Into Thin Air. Remarkable story. On that hike, they literally saw the sleeves and jacket and arms of other climbers where the wind had blown the snow off and they were frozen in. There are mountain climbers who are frozen in on Mount Everest and they can't get them off. And every once in a while, other climbers will see them. 
those climbers will resurrect out of that ice. Do you realize that not only the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the very reality of the resurrection of the dead, all dead, is a foundational doctrine of our Bibles. It is a foundational reality of our theology. Will you flip back open where one of your numerous inserts is holding 1 Corinthians 15 for you? Be sure and read those inserts, even if you read them during church. I want you to read them sometime. The resurrection of the dead is one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Let me show you what the Apostle Paul says as he continues. Did you notice in our scripture reading this morning that the Apostle Paul has stated in the first 11 verses that the reality of Christ's resurrection according to the scriptures is the reason that we can count on our salvation. He now goes on to build an argument for the fact that we can count on the fact that Jesus' resurrection is real because the dead are raised. Listen to this. Look what he says, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, it was going through the church at Corinth that there was no such thing as a bodily resurrection of those who die. As a result, the Apostle Paul is arguing backwards and he says, well, if there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection, then Jesus Christ cannot be raised because he had a bodily resurrection and he was all human even though he was all God. Verse 13, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, we have no faith, people. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Do you see Paul's argument? Christ was not raised from the dead if the dead in general are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, once again he says it, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That means that they won't rise again either. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Listen, the reality of a bodily resurrection of the dead is a foundational doctrine to Christianity. That is a bizarre thought. You really believe that? It's what our Bible teaches. Well, this morning, to structure our thinking for the next few minutes of our message time, What I want to do is I want to show you as we turn in our Bibles, I want to lay a biblical foundation for our understanding of the resurrection of the dead. Not Christ today so much, but the resurrection of those who die. We're going to, number one, we're going to lay a foundation. Number two, we're going to answer some questions. We want to lay a foundation, then we want to answer questions, and then number three, we want to make life application. What difference does it make that the dead rise? Why should I care about that? All right? Now, I'm warning you that this morning in our study, we need to turn in our Bibles. And that's a good exercise for us. 
And I don't apologize for that, but I warn you because I know that some of you don't know your Bibles real well and it's a little bit hard for you. And so I don't want you to be so distracted by turning in your scriptures that you lose track of the message. So if you start losing track of the passages, be sure and keep your ears tuned in closely. Be sure and keep that insert in 1 Corinthians 15. Will you do that? Because we will come back to 1 Corinthians 15 a couple more times. Let's lay a foundation for what the Bible says about the resurrection of the dead. First of all, I want you to see that Job in the Old Testament lived with this great expectation. Job lived with the expectation of rising again. Will you turn to that Old Testament book of Job? It's right before the book of Psalms. And so if you split your Bible down the middle and then go to the left, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job in chapter 19. Will you look there with me? If not, as I said, just listen closely as we share the Scripture with you this morning. Job chapter 19 and verse 23. And you know the story of Job that he's been suffering dramatically and will not recount all of that. But what I want you to see is what Job states as his hope. Job has a great expectation in the middle of his body decaying, even his skin with boils and his flesh falling off of his bones. He says this. This is the oldest book in our Bible. Do you know that? Nobody even knows who wrote this book on this account of this great servant of God, Job. It was written before, at least before, if not equal to, about the time of Abraham early on leaving Ur of the Chaldeans for his sojourn, for his trip up into the promised land, which we've been studying in Genesis. Job says, Oh, that my words, verse 23 of Job 19, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. In other words, I really want you to see this and I want this word preserved He says this, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. How did Job know that? God had revealed this truth to him. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. Now notice verse 26. Look at Job's expectation. And after my skin has been destroyed... Speaking of his death and his burial, yet, look, in my flesh I will see God. You see, we understand, and we talk about it often at funerals, about how the soul leaves the body and enters the presence of the Lord for those who are believers in Christ, the children of God. But the Bible clearly teaches that we are to anticipate a time when our very bodies will be resurrected. Job lived with this great anticipation. In the Old Testament also, if you turn to the prophetic book of Daniel, and there are other passages in Psalms, in the book of Psalms and in Isaiah, but if you go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel, to the very last chapter, chapter 12, and look at the first few verses, Not only did Job live with this great anticipation, but Daniel prophesied that it would happen. Daniel prophesied that our bodies would be resurrected. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. He's talking about uh, Michael, the angel of the Lord, and he's 
talking about the end times of the world, there is a prophetic passage. There are prophetic passages in the last part of the book of Daniel. Most of us know the front half of the book of Daniel better than the last half. The front half is where it's Daniel and the lion's den and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. Great stuff. The last half of Daniel is prophetic in nature. And verse 1, he says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes, verse 2, now look at this closely. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting he doesn't give us a lot of information. It sounds like it could be a general, rev- a, a, a general resurrection, doesn't it? It just says that those, the multitudes of the earth, who are in the dust, will rise again. I take that to speak specifically of their bodies. Job lived with the anticipation of this great event. Daniel prophesied this great event of the resurrection of the dead. I want you to turn now to more familiar territory, to John's Gospel in chapter 5, and I want you to see that Jesus taught it. Jesus himself clearly taught that there would be a resurrection of those who die. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. And this is Jesus teaching, and he says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. He doesn't give us a lot of information, but he says there will be a day with the calling of his voice that the dead will rise. Wow. We've already read where the Apostle Paul argued it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 12, and so we'll not repeat that verse. But will you turn clear now to the very end of our New Testament and know that this is not an exhaustive study, but we're touching down on some of the key passages. Job anticipated it, this great event. Daniel prophesied it, this great event. Jesus taught it. The Apostle Paul argued it. That if the dead don't rise again, then Jesus himself isn't risen. And finally, John, in his great vision on Patmos, saw it prophetically looking forward. John saw it. Look at chapter 20. If you begin with verse 1, it says, And I saw... He's using this kind of language that John, in this great vision that he has written down, this revelation of Jesus Christ to John while in exile on Patmos, he's writing down what he sees in this vision. I saw. Skip down to verse 4 and look what it says. And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus 
and because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. They had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. You see, during the time of great tribulation that our Bible teaches, after the first phase of the return of Christ and the rapture of his church, there will be a horrible season I believe it to be a literal seven-year season, the last three and a half years of which the Bible speaks about will be just a horrendously wicked time. And you've heard the, the Antichrist and the 666 number on the forehead, but there will be those who will be believers in Christ who will be saved during that time. The gospel will go around the world, even in the way it goes around the world now. People will reject it. Some people will accept it, just like now. Those who've accepted it will refuse to receive the mark, and they will be martyred for their faith. They'll be, it says here, beheaded. Perhaps even in the governmental system, they will reenact the death penalty by guillotine. It says, They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. But look what it says. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now there's a parenthesis. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This, going back to the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs, is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy, verse 6, are those who have part in the first resurrection because the second death has no power over you. You need to know that this is part one of three parts. And next week, we're going to talk about what that second death means because this week, we're focusing on when the saints go marching in. We're focusing on the resurrection of the dead who know Christ. God's people, after they die, when they receive a bodily resurrection. We're going to ask a couple questions in just a minute and we're going to see that there is also a resurrection of the damned. Let me just stop right there because... That leads us to part two of our message, but let's review where we've been so far. We're talking about a foundation to the reality of this thought that every person who ever dies will rise again bodily. Job anticipated it. Daniel prophesied it. Jesus taught it. Paul argued it. And John saw it. That leads us to part two of our message, which is answers to questions. Answers to some practical questions. And based upon what we've just read, and you should still have your Bible open to Revelation chapter 20, it leads us to ask a question. Is there more than one part to this resurrection? Is this just a general resurrection of the dead? And so the first question we want to ask is, is there more than one resurrection of the dead? Is there more than one resurrection of the dead? And the answer, short answer is yes. Look at what it says here. Let's review the verses we've just seen. Revelation chapter 20, and look at verse 4, the second half of verse 4. They came to life, these tribulation martyrs, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. That would be a time of the millennium right here on this earth. The rest of the dead, notice the parentheses, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection, going back to the resurrection before the millennium. At the end of the tribulation is when these martyrs will be resurrected. Then there will be another resurrection of the dead at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And these martyrs will have their bodies restored and they will rule with Him during the millennium right here on this earth. 
It's interesting, isn't it? It's actually possible that this building could still be here. That's another subject, but it's fascinating to think about. Question number one, is there more than one resurrection? The answer is yes. Let me further um, illustrate an answer to this question. And if you want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 24. If you don't want to, just listen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 24. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said. He is standing on trial before Felix, the governor. The Apostle Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And we're jumping right into the middle of an argument that he's making for his faith in front of Felix. He's being persecuted for his faith, the Apostle Paul is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is after the resurrection of Christ. And if you begin, let's just jump into what the Apostle Paul is saying. Uh, let's start with verse 14. However, the Apostle Paul says, Acts 24, 15, 14 However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. They called Christians at this point followers of the way. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In more contemporary days here, there's actually a kind of a cult called the way. You have to watch out for it. And they've distorted the teachings of Christ. Back then, following the resurrection of Christ, those who became followers of Christ committed their lives to Christ, became disciples of Christ, were followers of the way. Paul says, that's who I am, which they call a sect. Other people called them a cult, even back then. I believe everything that agrees with the law, that would be the Old Testament, that is written in the prophets, Paul says, verse 15, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Now, you can't tell for sure the timing of that resurrection, but I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul, in speaking to Felix, differentiates the two, that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and there will be a resurrection of the wicked. When we put these concepts together as we study the nuance of Scripture and we study the inference of Scripture, it becomes clear that there are parts to the resurrection. And there is a separation between the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of those who we would call the resurrection of the damned. Will you take another one of your many bulletin inserts and stick it into Acts chapter 24 if you've turned there because I want to return there in a time of application. Question number one, is there more than one resurrection? The answer is yes. There's a thousand years between part of the resurrection of the righteous and then the resurrection of the unrighteous in their bodies. Interesting, isn't it? Paul said there is a resurrection of the righteous to life and there is a resurrection of the ungodly. Our Lord Jesus, if you want to listen to one more verse in Luke chapter 14, and we had this verse just last week. Luke chapter 14, verse 14. I told you we were going to turn a lot in our Bibles. Don't let it grieve you or make you groan. Luke chapter 14 and verse 14 Do you remember what we talked about uh, last week in kind of a different kind of message where I was challenging us to have the mind of Christ in regards to the poor and why does Fellowship Bible Church reach out to people around the world, even in practical ways? That Jesus said in verse 13 of Luke 14, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Invite these people. 
He said, don't invite your rich neighbors and don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives because if you do that, they are liable to invite you back. But when you give a banquet, invite people who have no home in which to invite you back. And then he says, although they cannot repay you, look what it says, you will be repaid at the, notice this phrase that Jesus says, at the resurrection of the righteous. Isn't that interesting? There will be a resurrection of the righteous. I believe that the Bible teaches, I believe that the Bible teaches that there are two parts to this resurrection of the dead, at least. The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. Second question, when will this resurrection take place? When will this resurrection take place? As I've already referenced, when we have funerals, we talk about Paul's clear teaching from 2 Corinthians and from Philippians chapter 1, that to be absent from the body is to be present from the, with the Lord. And we talk about our beloved ones who are in Christ, who've named the name of Christ, who've come to a place where they've gone to the cross and the shed blood of Christ washed them clean from their sin and they've been stamped and marked with the righteousness of Christ, robed in His righteousness. That believer in Christ, when he dies, immediately his spirit enters the presence of the Lord. Theologians call that then where they are now. Like, let's use Donnie Fellers for an illustration. He was our last funeral, wasn't he? And um, he's with the Lord. We say Donnie's with the Lord. Well, his body is waiting to be buried at Arlington this spring. So there's the shell, there's the tent in which he lived. The Apostle Paul called it a tent. Second Corinthians 5. But his spirit went immediately into the presence of the Lord. That begins now for believers in Christ, what theologians and Bible students call the intermediate state. A little technicality. Some of you like this kind of talk. The intermediate state. What do we mean by the intermediate state? Not to give you more information than you were looking for. But the body is where? The body's in the ground. The soul and spirit are with the Lord. And you know what? The Bible just doesn't tell us about very much at all what's going on. The new heavens and new earth where we're going to spend eternity have not been created yet. And so... What he's waiting for and in the presence of the Lord and now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you'll turn there, 1 Thessalonians 4, there is a day coming when the righteous body will resurrect and that's when he's going to get his new body and the soul and spirit will be reunited with the original body. You say, Pastor Van, how in the world can this happen? You're nuts. Think about it. This guy falls over the board in the middle of the ocean. A shark comes and eats him. And then the shark expels him all the way across the ocean floor. How is he going to resurrect? I don't know. He's just going to come zooming up out of there in molecule form. Spread out over a thousand miles, maybe. Some guy, no doubt, in Jefferson County, there are uh, our forefathers splattered in the ground of 40 acres. But their molecules must still be there and they will resurrect and they will be rejoined and there will be a bodily resurrection. It's what the Bible says. If words mean anything. 
Is there more than one resurrection? Yes. When will this resurrection take place? You should now be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to see quickly that Paul, in teaching to the Thessalonian believers, says in verse 15, starting, just jump right into 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is the way the Bible talks about the death of believers. Donnie Fellers fell asleep in Jesus. Why? Because his body is going to be awakened in essence. It's figurative language. He says, not everybody will die. That is... The Bible prophesies clearly that there is a coming of Christ back to earth. There will be people alive on earth. People living, eating, playing basketball, reading their Bibles. Some people will know Jesus. They will accept the message of Jesus. And they're still alive and they're not going to die. In 1 Thessalonians 4 it says that we will, who are alive... On this earth, when the Lord returns in the air for His church, for His believers, will not, notice the language, it says, they will not precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself, verse 16, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is when it will happen. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And if you study the passage, you see that he's in the clouds. He's going to fill the sky, people. Six hours ago, the church in Malawi met. And Love and Yohani preached and they sang and they praised God. And they prayed for you. Do you know that? They pray every day for Fellowship Bible Church. The brothers and sisters in Malawi. And when Jesus returns in the air to receive his church, as the Bible prophesies... He will fill the sky. You know the earth is round, don't you? I know that we fundamentalist Christians are really out of step with reality, but we're not flat earthers. We know the earth is round. And He's going to fill the sky. And everywhere, because He's omnipresent, believers who are dead in Malawi that they've wept over and buried, and believers here that we've shed tears over, but not as those who have no hope will come up out of the ground their bodies. Because where's their soul and spirit right now? It's already there. And they will meet the Lord in the air. And at that point, it leads us to the next question. Is there more than one resurrection? Yes. When will the resurrection occur? It will occur of the believers in Christ, the church age believers in Christ, at the rapture. We call that the rapture when Jesus is coming back in the sky. 1 Thessalonians 4. We don't have time. There's matching verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53, where you have one of your bulletin inserts. Question number three. And this one is what you, the women in the audience want to know more than any other question. What will my resurrection body be like? What will my resurrection body be like? Well, the Bible gives us insert, it gives us insight, and if go to the insert at 1 Corinthians 15. Thank you for your patience as we've turned to many passages of Scripture. This will help us a little bit for next week. 
1 Corinthians 15. Now look at verse 35 because the believers in Corinth had a lot of the same questions. What's this going to be like? What are these bodies going to be like? And the Apostle Paul, if you'll notice, when he answers the question, is almost incredulous. He's almost like, how come you can't get this? I think the Apostle Paul was probably like, I don't know, he was probably worse than Professor Mitchell. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Why can't you get this? Because we don't understand it. We, we see through a glass darkly. But notice the, the, the tone of voice. Verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? See, we're talking about a bodily, physical resurrection. How foolish! What's wrong? What a dumb question! Now look at the analogy that he uses. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed. You got the imagery? When you're at a funeral, and it's a believer in Christ, and they, we plant that body in the ground, that's just a seed. Don't expect that body because you say, my beloved Wayne, my beloved mother, Kay, they didn't look good when they died. Their bodies had shriveled up. There was nothing left of what sin and sickness and disease had done. He said, how foolish! A seed has to fall to the ground. Now keep going. Perhaps a wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined. And to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. You see, you eat Big Macs made out of cows. Different kind of flesh. Birds, another. You love fried chicken. And fish, another. And the flesh is different. Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. Look, people, there's two kinds of bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars aren't even the same. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Verse 42. The body that is sown is perishable. It is now raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is sown shriveled up. It is sown with planted in the ground sown. With the eyeballs shriveled up. With the lips tight. With the mouth pulled back. With ugly grotesqueness. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, gave a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come from the first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. In other words, our natural body, if you want to know what Adam looked like, is like us. Two eyes, nose, mouth, ears, hands, legs, everything else. But our spiritual body isn't patterned after Adam. It says the first man was of the dust of the earth, verse 47. The second man is from heaven. Who's the second Adam? Say it. Jesus. 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. Okay, you got it? As was Adam, so are we. Women look pretty much the way Eve looked, and men look pretty much the way Adam looked. Now, sin and the gene pool melting down has had a big effect on us, but we're basically the same. You would recognize Adam and Eve as real humans. And as, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Did you get that? I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but it's going to be like Jesus. It's going to be like Jesus' resurrection body. Evidently, it had some similar appearance of his earthly body. However, sometimes they couldn't even recognize him. And sometimes he walked through doorways, and sometimes he went through the walls. I assume he did that in the glorified body. I don't know that he did it just in his deity, but in his humanity too, in a glorified body. You want to know what your body's going to be like? It's going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. The Apostle Paul never says anything simple, but he's bulletproof. If you study it, it's a pretty complete argument. Question number one, is there more than one resurrection? Yes. Question number two, when will it take place when Christ returns for Thessalonians 4? Question number three, what will my resurrection body be like? Question number four, why does this resurrection take place? Look at verse 50, right after where we just stopped reading. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. I declare to you, brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then he goes in to talk about the coming of the Lord. Do you know why we have to get a new body? Because these bodies are not made for heaven, and it's part of God's sovereign plan of grace to give us a new body that can live in heaven. Ultimately, in a new heavens and a new earth, Amazing, isn't it? Well, let's wrap this up with some application, okay? Let's think about where we've been. We're building an argument for the reality of the fact that everybody who ever dies will resurrect in a bodily resurrection. We talked about Job, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, John, and how they saw it coming, this resurrection. We asked a few questions. How many resurrections? There's a difference between the resurrection of the righteous the saints in Christ and the resurrection of the damned, the unrighteous. We asked when it will happen at the return of the Lord and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection of the redeemed. We asked what this body will be like. It will be like Jesus' post-resurrection body. It will be raised up. When you look at the grain field out here, when He drilled all that seed, it's just little seeds in the ground. And already it's starting to turn green and change. But you know, it's way different than it's going to be. And it's just totally different. The body that's sown will rise up. It's a seed. It'll sprout up into something totally different. Preparing us for eternity in heaven. A body that will last forever in heaven. Life application. Are you still in 1 Corinthians 15? Will you look at verse 58? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Just a couple minutes as we apply this now. How does the fact of the resurrection of the righteous affect us today? How does it affect us? Well, assuming you're part of the righteous and you will be part of the resurrection of the righteous, first of all, you need to see 
that it brings strength in times of fatigue. The hope of a future resurrection will bring strength in times of fatigue. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Notice he says, therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, based on the previous 57 verses that's all about the resurrection, you need to know. Therefore, because of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the dead, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You get discouraged living for Jesus. You feel like you wonder if it's, ever, if it's really real. You feel like there's any kind of a reward day coming. Denying myself the natural desires of the flesh. Pushing against the world, pressing in on me with all of its ungodliness and unrighteousness. Being pointed at as some kind of a out-of-step geek from Mars because you're pro-life. You think that a man and a woman ought to marry and hold marriage together and, not, and, that, and otherwise shouldn't have children and all these things. And that a man should get up and go to work and feed himself and that the government shouldn't feed him. And you got all these principles based on the Bible and you got all this and it's because you're in Christ and then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't go over and beat him up when he flips you the middle finger and stuff because you're a Christian. You ever get weary of that? I'll tell you something. Your pastor gets tired of it. Sometimes I want to go the way of the flesh. Sometimes I want to say, who cares? Nobody's listening anyway. No, 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 no. Because of the resurrection day, you do not grow weary. There's a day coming when it's all going to come together. It's going to come together. When you're fatigued, it will give you strength. I think that includes the fatigue of terminal illness as well. When you're lying in bed and your turn will come and your body gives way and you can feel your pulse weakening and you know in your semi-conscious state it won't be long and I'll be going to be with Jesus. It will give you strength in a time of fatigue. I have another body coming. There's another day. This is not the end. You see? There it is. It brings strength in times of fatigue. It brings comfort in times of grief. We've already read the verse in 1 Thessalonians 4. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. I'm a pastor. I do funerals. I get phone calls from people usually connected to the church. Pastor Van, I have a friend, I have a neighbor, I have a loved one, I have a child. They've had a death. They don't have a church. Will you come do the funeral? Sure. And I go and minister the Word of God the best I can. And then I stand, and I stand back at the cemetery after I'm done. And I see them lying on top of the casket, wailing. And I see them kissing the casket. And I've seen them kiss the body. And I see the grief, and I see the blood vessels break in their face. I don't see that at believers' funerals. I see it at those who have no hope that they'll ever see this one again. It gives strength in time of fatigue. It gives hope in the time of grief. How about one more, and we'll stop with that.
brings value to acts of service. Did you catch what Jesus said in Luke 14, 14? When you invite those poor, lame, blind people to your banquet, you will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. What brings value to your good deeds? See, you know the Bible's clear. You don't get into heaven because of your good deeds because there is no righteousness in and of ourselves that can appease the wrath of a holy God. That's what Jesus did for us, gave us his holiness. He gave us his credit card full of holiness that's sufficient to pay the entrance to heaven. His name alone. But when you become weary in well-doing, remember at the resurrection of the righteous, you will be repaid. Amen? give that cup of cold water in Jesus' name and they take it and they slap it down on the floor and they snarl at you and you just want to go at them. All right, you don't want my cup of cold water? I'll give you elbow upside the ear. All right? That's the kind of pastor you have. I give you this cup of cold water, you spill it on the ground and you curse my hand for handing it to you. But someday, my heavenly Father at the resurrection of the righteous is going to pay me for that. In His grace. It's nothing I deserve or earned. In His grace, He's going to give it to me. Final question as we leave. We've got to get out of here. Are you going to be part of the resurrection of the righteous? It's not automatic. It's not automatic. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Listen, the pluralistic, melding world in which we live, where everybody says all roads lead to heaven, is a lie from the pit of hell. And based on the authority of Scripture, there is only one way into heaven. There is only one life giver. There is only one sin bearer. There is only one resurrected Christ, the first fruits of all. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today and you'll be part of the the great resurrection of the unrighteous. If you don't want to do that, come back next week and I'll tell you about your resurrection. Okay? Let's pray. Father, this stuff is incredible. We just have to tell you that uh, we struggle to get a grip on it. We barely can comprehend what your Bible is telling us. And yet, Lord, it is dramatic and it is real and it is powerful. And so, Lord, would you just convict us and open our eyes to the truths of your word. Father, let us not grow weary in well-doing, but look forward to a day when we'll be resurrected and get a new body and we'll be with you and we'll be like you. Father, may that drive us on these truths that we receive by faith that we cannot prove scientifically, but based on the authority of Your Word. And Lord, we have seen the testimony of Your Word in the past, how to every jot and tittle it comes true. So may we not waver in our faith today, but may we prepare ourselves for a better resurrection. Thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus who carries our sin. Thank you that we can receive this free gift of salvation and enter into life everlasting. It's in his name I pray. Amen.